Well, good morning, Third Street. Good morning. Good morning. Imagine you getting up here to speak. You say good morning and everybody greets you with good morning. Good morning, Third Street. Man, that feels a lot better. Man, I love being here with you guys. There's not another place outside of the gates of heaven that I would rather be than gathering with you all. And I genuinely mean that. If you don't know me, my name is Corey. Uh, I serve as the pastor here at Third Street Community Church. And it is my honor and my privilege to be bringing forth the word of God to you all this morning. If you were here with us last week, you already know how this introduction goes. We're in a new series and that series is called Church. Help me out. What's the series called? It's called One. Somebody talk, asked me this week, they said, is it called Philomenesimus? I said, it is not called Philomenesimus, but I, but I kind of like it. He says, that's what it says. It says, says Philomenesimus. You're not fooling me, Pastor. You can say that says one, but I'm learned enough that I know that says Philomenesimus. Yeah, yeah, you're right. You got me. This series is called One. Last week, we talked about how one... Um, it can mean a lot of different things. For our purposes last week, we talked about how one is a beginning. It's a starting point. We've got to start. I was waiting for one person to finish. We got to start back at one. You know what I'm saying? How many of you after last week went home and listened to Brian McKnight at some point this past week? I know you did. I know you did. I don't know his analytics team, but I have to believe that Brian McKnight's analytics team went to their Spotify and they were like, what is this spike in Canton, Ohio? Hey, Brian, Brian, I think we got to go play a show in Canton, Ohio, because the Canton, Ohio is really fooling with you this week. I know you did. I know you did. It's one of those songs. It's one of those artists that like you can't just bring it up and not and not, you know, go home and listen to it later. You know what I'm saying? Uh, Brian McKnight, I'm glad that y'all got blessed with that last week. I hope you remember something else from it. Um, and what I hope that you remember from it is that in all ways, in all places, in all times, that our starting point in all situations ought to be Jesus. Amen. When we begin the process of a new plan, we begin the process of a perspective, when we begin the process of a new year, that our starting place, where all of this ought to come from, is Jesus. And I took you to the book of Philemon. This itty-bitty book, Um, and we read the first 10 verses. This morning, I'm going to back us up a little bit. I'm going to start in verse 8, just in case you weren't here last week and you didn't get a chance to to catch up with it online. We're going to back up to verse 8, and what I want to do is I want to read to a certain point, and then I'm going to go ahead and tell you right now, I'm going to read the same passage next week. I'm going to do that because there's a lot in these 12 or so verses that we're about to read. There is so much that I did not feel confident in my ability to relay it to you accurately uh, with, with all of the depth that I want to in one sitting, right? It just wouldn't be fair. It just wouldn't be right. And so I'm going to read the same thing next week. And so you're going to see a lot of stuff in the text. Um, but I'm going to take a week respectively to talk about each side of reconciliation that we witness in this passage. For this week, I want to focus specifically on the reconciliation that takes place between us and God. So if you haven't already, go ahead and turn in your Bibles to the book of Philemon. Meet me in verse 8, and I want to tag this text this morning, More Than a Slave. 
This is Philemon, the Apostle Paul is writing from prison to this man named Philemon about his former slave Onesimus. And the Apostle Paul says this, starting in verse 8. He says, for this reason, although I have great boldness in Christ to command you to do what is right, I appeal to you instead on the basis of love. I, Paul, as an elderly man and now also as a prisoner of Christ Jesus, appeal to you for my son Onesimus. I became his father while I was in chains. Once he was useless to you, but now he is useful both to you and to me. I'm sending him back to you. I'm sending my very own heart. I wanted to keep him with me so that in my imprisonment for the gospel, he might serve me in your place. But I didn't want to do anything without your consent so that your good deed might not be out of obligation, but of your own free will. For perhaps this is why he was separated from you for a brief time, so that you might get him back permanently, no longer as a slave, but more than a slave, as a dearly loved brother. He is especially so to me, but how much more to you? both in the flesh and in the Lord. So if you consider me a partner, welcome him as you would me. And if he has wronged you in any way or owes you anything, charge that to my account. I, Paul, write this with my own hand. I will repay it. Not to mention to you that you owe me even your very self. And not forget about your debt. Philomenesimus. <laughs> yes, brother, may I benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. 2023 is going to be a big year. Amen. I ain't just saying it because it's a new one and maybe our hopes haven't been dashed yet. I'm saying that because I genuinely mean that 2023 is going to be a big year. There's a lot for this church to realize in 2023. There's a lot that is going on in our community that we are believing the Lord for. And I am genuinely looking forward to this year. I really think this year is going to have a really a, a, a whole lot of really awesome testimonies arrive out of it. But can I be completely honest with you about what I'm looking forward to the most? It feels a little bit like I'm talking about my kids because you know how, like, as a parent with your kids, you're not supposed to have a favorite, but, like, low-key, you really do? That's a joke. That's a joke. If there's kids in here, that's a joke. That's a joke. Um, The things, the things, yeah, KT's like, nah, it's it's Lauren, right? It's Lauren? Yeah, Lauren, it's Lauren. Um, (laughs) The thing that I'm looking forward to the most this year if I'm being honest, and look at all of what the Lord is doing across, not just in our community, but around the world, as I look at everything that's going on, I'm most excited for something that's happening for the first time in about 10 years. And that's that EA Sports is going to release NCAA football 2023 this year. Do you know how long it's been? Do you know how long every single, listen, this whole section is like, I can't believe he just said that. But I know I got at least 10 people in here that was like, I felt it. I felt that, bro. I've been back on the thing. 
Listen, listen, this is a big deal, okay? This is a big deal because this was the greatest video game ever made, this college football game. Do you know how many Ds in school I got because I was playing this game instead? Like, oh my goodness, this was the greatest game ever. And for the first time because of the new NIL, NIL rules in college, because of all those other equations, listen, we're going to get this game for the first time and it's going to be a holiday at Third Street. I ain't preaching that week. I know KT ain't preaching that week. I don't know which one of y'all going to step up and do it, but I promise. I promise it ain't one of us. I promise you that. I promise you it's that. Yeah, it's not, it's not, it's not Rachel either, because she's gonna have to watch our kids because I'm gonna be playing this game. <laughs> I listen, I, I'm not, I wish I was joking. Like, I'm not even playing with y'all. I love this game so much. During the pandemic, me and KT have this whole thing. Like, during the pandemic, I went deep in the crawl space, y'all. I went deep in the crawl space, just like a lot of us did. I went deep in the crawl space of the house, and I dug out the old Xbox 360. And I plugged it in because I knew that I still had the last NCAA game. I knew I still had it. And so, and so I, did, I went through all the steps, right? I plugged in the things. I, you know, it's, it's got the power cord. I, I got everything, the HDMI. I got everything going. I'm ready. And then I hit, you know the sound. You know the sound I'm talking about. I hit the beep. You know what I'm saying? And it comes on, and you're like, here it is, right? You see the little Xbox symbol. You're like, I'm about to get into it. And then the most devastating thing in the world, it wouldn't work. Like it just stayed on the same screen. And I kept picking up the controller and I was like pushing a button on a controller and it wouldn't light up. I'm moving the joysticks and it's not doing nothing. And I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm just stuck staring at the screen. And I even did the whole thing where you like plug in the controller. I know y'all forgot controllers used to do that, but I, I even plugged in the controller because I was like, maybe if it's connected directly to the source. No, sorry, it's a separate preaching point. But I thought maybe that I could get it to work and it just wouldn't work and I was devastated. I called KT. I literally think I was about in tears. I was like, KT, it won't work, man. I, don't, I just, I, my heart was set. <laughs> my heart was set. It won't work. I don't know what I'm, what I'm supposed to do. He said, did you try a different controller? I said, KT, I don't, I don't have one. That's the only one I got. It don't even have a back to it no more because I, I played the back of the controller just right off. I said, don't have one. He said, bro, I got an extra one for you. I said, you really are my brother, man. I just... He said, I got an extra controller. You want to know what love is? Like, I got an extra Xbox 360 controller for you. So I went over and got it. I pushed the middle button. I synced it up with my Xbox. And wouldn't you know it? Bam, there it was. Synced up to the new controller. Suddenly, suddenly the world opened up. The experience is enhanced. And we're playing things out that we didn't even know was possible at the beginning of this whole process. It was beautiful. It was the best part of the pandemic. Sadly, I'm not even exaggerating. When we read this text, because yes, I know how to connect it. When you read this text, Paul is making an appeal to Philemon that Onesimus is not who you remember him being. You, 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 you remember him as something that was someone who was, uh, uh, to use your words, to use Paul's words, uh, useless. But, but Paul is writing to Philemon to let him know that Onesimus has been synced up with a new controller, if you will. That, 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 that Onesimus has been synced up with a new controller, uh, with a new component attached to it that is now opening up the possibilities of the way that he can work and function, right? That he is actually finally being able to live into his original intent of bringing joy and hope to kids all around the world. 
Paul is writing to Philemon about Onesimus. And he's like, I know you remember him this way. But now that he's synced up with this new controller, you, you, you ought to see him now. It's not, it's not the same. I got three points that I want to relay to you this morning. I promise I'm done talking about NCAA football. Three points only, and I'm out your way. The first one is this, is that when we come to faith in Jesus, the first thing we're given is a new identity. Paul writes to Philemon, and he says, I know you remember Onesimus being useless. Now, the dangers of casual reading in this case is the equivalent of my mother listening to hip-hop. She's not going to catch the references. She's not going to catch the play on words or, uh, in all likelihood, even the, 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 the rhythm of it. Sorry. It's... You just, you, you just kind of miss something when you don't grow up with an appreciation for, uh, for, for the art. But, but when you get into the texts, when you get into the context of what Paul's saying, when you get into, into the, the language that he's writing in, what you learn is that this is a play on words. That Paul is saying, I know you remember Onesimus being useless, but now he's useful. It's a play on words because Onesimus' name literally means useful. I have to believe that Timothy is sitting there writing this down for Paul. And he's like, he's like, Paul's like, say this, say this, say this. Say, I know you remember useful being useless. And Timothy's like, ooh, I have to believe that's how it went. Because, because he's trying to use his name to make a point. He's like, I know you remember him being useless, but now Onesimus is living into his God-given name. And Paul employs this once but now framework that's so familiar in his writings, most especially in his writing to the Colossians, which is the same community that Philemon's a part of, where he says, he, he, he says, he says you once were this, but now you're this. In Colossians 3, the same community, he, said, he says, you, you, you put off this old self. You, you, you put off this sinful nature, those things that you were into, those things that were holding you back, those things that had, that had tripped you up and jammed you up, those things, you take them off like you take off your clothes at the end of the evening. You take that off and what you put on instead is a whole new way of living. What you put on instead is a whole new functionality. What you put on instead is new life. In other words, the person you knew back then was of no use to you, right? And you might be thinking to yourself, like, well, well, well technically Onesimus was a slave, so, so how, how, are you calling him, how are you calling him useless? Because I know he was doing everything for Philemon, and you're probably right. But that's not what he's talking about. He's talking about in terms of his gospel service. He's talking about in terms of the fact that Philemon, remember we started with Jesus last week, Philemon loves Jesus. Philemon knows Jesus, and Philemon desperately wants everyone in his community to also know and love Jesus. That's why he invites people into his house. And Paul's like, I know that once upon a time, as you're inviting people into your house, as you're ministering the gospel, as you're telling people about Jesus, I know that once upon a time, Onesimus was useless to that whole, that whole ministry, that whole job that you do. He's like, but man, you should see him now. Amen. You should see him now. The man I am sending back to you is living into his God-given identity. Church, what I hope that you hear from this section is this, is that, is that when a person comes to faith in Jesus, they're given a new identity. We see it all throughout Scripture that when people come to have an encounter with the living, breathing God, they're given a new name. 
I could go through a hundred examples throughout scripture, but I'll give you one specifically because you know how much I love to talk about it. I think of Simon Peter specifically. I think of Simon Peter and I think of how his community would have seen him. I think, I, I think of how the world would have said, oh yeah, that's John's kid. I think of how the world would have said, oh yeah, Simon, oh yeah, that's that, that's that, fisher, that fisher person. He goes down by the docks, he goes out on a boat and he brings us some, some fish back and sometimes it's all right. You know what I'm saying? I think of the fact that his community would have been like, oh, yeah, Simon, he's impulsive. You talking about the impulsive Simon? Yeah, Simon, Simon Wild. He impulsive. He's argumentative. Right. He's 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 a little bit unstable. Right. I think I think of how his community would have described him as unstable. And then I think about how after one interaction with Jesus, he's like, you're not unstable. You're a rock. You're not Simon. Matter of fact, you're Peter. He says, he says, he says, Jesus says, upon this rock, upon your stability, I'm going to build the foundation of my church. You will be a pillar of this world changing movement that I'm laying the foundation for. He says, he says, you have been given authority that the rest of this world doesn't even recognize yet. He says, says, Peter, you hold the keys to the kingdom. Yes, sir. Despite all your ups and downs, you, 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 Peter, will do great things. See, Jesus named Peter not for who he was, but for who he would become. When you come to faith in Jesus, you are not seen. That's not how God sees you. We, We are not seen for our earthly status. We are not seen for who we once were. We are seen for how God sees us. We are seen for who God calls us to be. We are seen for who God created us to be. But what I'm wondering this morning is if as a church, both collectively and individually, if we have allowed ourselves to live into this new identity that Christ gives us upon our profession of faith. I'm wondering if we're allowing ourselves to be informed by our God-given identity or if we're so caught up in who our Instagram stuff says that we are if we've lost our souls just a little bit. I wonder if we're living into who God says we are or if we're so caught up in who our university tells us we ought to be when we leave this place that maybe we've lost our souls a little bit. I'm wondering if we're living into who God has created us to be or if we're so caught up in what our boss needs from us Monday to Friday that maybe we've lost our souls a little bit. I'm wondering if we've been able to let go of the things that the people we grew up with have said about us. I'm wondering if we've been able to let go of the identities that the world has smacked on our face before and if we've actually allowed ourselves the space and the authority to live into not who Joe or John or Simon or whatever John says we are, but who God says we are. I'm just wondering if we've really lived into that this morning. If we've really, really let Christ be our advocate the way that Paul is advocating for Onesimus, going back to our former master, you know, the things that used to own us. If we've let Christ be our advocate to go to our former masters and be like, "Uh uh-uh, you don't got them no more. I know you knew them as this, but that ain't who this person is anymore. 
Paul says, I'm sending Onesimus back to you. I wish I could keep him. I wish he could stay here with me. Because trust me, he's useful to me. He ought to be useful to you. I don't know if you're seeing it through that lens, but he's useful to me. I don't know if you've ever felt that way. This is for free, but God finds you to be useful. Right? Paul's like, I wish he could hang around me, but something tells me he's got he's to go, go back. So he says, I'm sending Onesimus back, back to you, Philemon. I'm sending Onesimus back to the same old town. I'm sending him back to confront the same master. I'm sending him back to the same Greco-Roman economic system that had him in chains in the first place. I'm sending him back, but this time, and this is the key phrase that I want us to remember, this time I'm sending him back as more than a slave. He says he is no longer your slave. He's more than that. He's a beloved brother. Paul says he's more than his position in your man-made society. He says he's more than his ability to fulfill a job description. Paul says he is more than what the world and what your culture says that he is. See, Onesimus returns to you, Philemon, with a new purpose. Once once upon a time, he was just serving you. He was just trying to get through the day. But now there is a deeper purpose connected to his personhood. There is a deeper fulfillment that he is finding and serving, not you as his master, but Christ as his master. He is returning also with a new posture. He is not coming in. He is not coming in as an indentured servant, a slave or somebody who's being held there against his will. He's coming in as a brother, as somebody who loves you and you ought to love as your own family. That's the second point that I want to get to. You know how it goes when I burn through the first two so fast, you know what's coming in point three. But the second point that I want to give you is that when we come to faith in Jesus, we are given new purpose and new posture. Yes, sir. See, I think, I think a lot of times what happens to us is we may have a moment with Jesus where we feel refreshed. We might have a moment with Jesus where we feel enlightened. And maybe it comes in your quiet time when you close your eyes. Maybe it comes on Sunday morning. Maybe Sunday morning for you has been refreshing. I don't know how because my tone isn't too kind, but somehow maybe Sunday morning to you is refreshing. But then what happens is that we go out of this place. We leave that prayer time. We leave that moment and we go back to the same old cold realities. We go back, we return to the same circumstances we were just temporarily brought out of. We have this moment with Jesus. We feel like we got our God-given identity. God says that I'm beloved. God says that I'm useful. And then we go back to the same things that made us feel horrible. We get sent back into that world. We get sent back to school. We get sent back to work. We get sent back to our dysfunctional family. We get sent back to our same old toxic life because even though that you had this moment doesn't mean the rest of the world has. 
We may have this transcendent moment with Jesus, but then we go back to the same harsh realities of how people treat us because of the way that we look. Because what we were born into. But the hope that we're given through this letter that Paul writes to Philemon is that we're free to express the, express the beauty in all ways that God made us to be without eternally suffering the consequences the evil powers of this world try to put on us. In other words, we might physically be returning to the same places and the same spaces, but we are given inside of those places and spaces a new purpose. You're not there as somebody who is going to get stepped on any longer. I recently had a conversation with somebody who, who, who called for, for me to give them a little bit of advice because within their organization, they are being brought in to executive level conversations that they are given influence within their organization where they're like, oh my goodness, I don't know like why they're listening to me and why they're shaping the entire company off of the things that I say, but they, but they really are. But can I tell you the craziest thing? She, said, she says, Corey, I'm just a peon. I'm just, I'm a nobody. On an org chart, I'm at the bottom. So why am I being brought into like the C-suite level conversations? Well, that's... That's the fulfillment of what Christ is trying to do, I believe, within that organization. See, 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 on an org chart, you might look like a peon, but when you come to faith in Jesus, what you are given is a new purpose and a new posture where within that organization, the organization might say you're at the bottom, but your influence reads a little bit different. Hallelujah. Right? That light that you walk in with has different implications than what the organizational structure will allow for you to function within. Does that make sense? The Lord gives us a new purpose for being there. You're no longer there to collect a check. You're no longer there to get a degree. You're no longer there to check a box. You're there to be a light. You're there because, because God wants to do something different in where you've been placed. God, how can you have me in the same old place? Why won't you move me? Because he ain't done with you there. There's more things that the people around you have to learn that God is going to communicate in and through you specifically before you can move on. And you're given a new posture. You don't need to to, to try to walk in, you know, and make yourself look small and not known. You get to walk in with the confidence and the joy of the Lord. Because he has said you are useful. Because he has said you are beloved. Because he is who gives you all that you desire, not whoever signs the check at the bottom. And I'm watching it happen all over the place. This one woman who called me isn't the only example. I'm watching it happen all over where God is putting his people in favorable positions. I think most specifically of Daniel. If you go back to the Old Testament, how Daniel and his whole people were taken into captivity. They were taken into the captivity and literally of all people, Daniel is the one that suddenly has influence in the house of the very king who enslaved and is oppressing his people. He had every reason to shrink down, to be small, to let his culture be stripped and to just ride out his days in suffering and misery. But he's like, I feel like the Lord has something different for me. And then wouldn't you know it? The king calls on Daniel. He's like, yo, come up here and live in my courts. Daniel becomes one of the most influenced leaders we read about in the Old Testament. My question this morning, though, is will you enter into those spaces on Monday morning with a renewed purpose? And posture? Or will you allow yourselves to continually be beat up 
by the rigor, by the rigor and evil structures that this world has built. Do you recognize that you've been given that new purpose and that new posture, that you are in that place not because you're trapped, but because God still has some mountains to move while you're still there? Amen. And believe it or not, he's going to use you to do it. Amen. Man. And then we get to this last part. This last part, this last side of this coin that I'm going to talk about this week is an amazing statement, an amazing statement that Paul makes. He appeals to Philemon. He's like, you ain't going to treat Onesimus like that anymore. He coming back. He refreshed. He renewed. I'm refreshed. I'm renewed. He's useful. He is dope. He is fire. He's going gospel ministry and your gospel ministry is going to meet up and we're going to get into all that next week. and It's going to be dope and fire is going to be amazing. And if there's anything that I haven't covered. Right, throws this in here as a qualification. If, 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 if there's anything else that I don't know, if, 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 if in all my time with Onesimus that he came to me and I told him about Jesus and he loves Jesus now and now he's a different person, if all this, we've missed something about his past. If there's something else deeply hidden that I don't know about that you know about. If there's something else he's done to you that he hasn't told me about, but you remember, it's right there on the forefront of your memory. If there's any other wrongdoing that Onesimus has been guilty of, if there's any other ill will if there's any other bad past that I am not remembering at the moment of me writing this put it on my tab put it on my tab whatever bro just throw it on there I'm gonna pay it whatever wrong he has done before I'm so confident in telling you that that's not who he is that whatever window he's broken I'll pay for it Whatever damage he's done, I got it covered. Run, run, run the card. Put it on my tab, right? I'll come pay it, right? Whatever, whatever hurt he has caused, I want you to attribute it to me. I'll cover it. I'll pay for it. I'll apologize. I'll work it off. I'll do whatever it needs to be done for it to be covered because Onesimus is not the same. It is covered. Whatever way he wronged you, Whatever else I haven't covered, whatever Onesimus owes you, whatever debt it is, put it on my tab. Because let's not forget Philemon. And he just like, it's so quick, it's so brief. He's like, let's not forget, let's not forget that you owe too, right? Let's not get so caught up in his debts that we like forget about yours, right? Like, let's not forget. But, but I, I'm not here collecting on you. So why you and your people been out here collecting on him? Now, you can come see me. Come collect from me, Philemonesimus. Put it on my tab. Paul, in this moment, embodies Christ on the cross. As Jesus goes up to pay the ultimate price and sacrifice once and for all, he looks up to his heavenly father not to say, ow, this hurts. He looks up to his heavenly father not to say, you see these people spitting on me? Get them. He looks up to his father on the cross not to say, don't they look foolish calling me out my name that you gave me, saying that I'm this and that when they don't even realize that I am the son of God. He doesn't look up to the heavens and he's not like, Father, don't they know I can get up off this piece of wood and holy smack every single... He doesn't do any of that. 
He says, Father, put it on my tab. Whatever wrong that they're doing right now, whatever wrong they've done in the past, and for all those that'll come that didn't get to be at this scene and the wrong that they'll do, Jesus says, put it on my tab. It's covered. Paul embodies Christ on the cross. He said, the past is dead. The old is gone. The new has come. It's time to believe. Church, what we receive when we come to faith in Jesus is new freedom. There is no limit to a person's freedom when they come to faith in Jesus. There is nothing that you're not freed from on this earth when you come to faith in Jesus. Whatever it is that's been holding you back, whatever it is that prevents you from sharing your testimony, whatever it is that has you speak quietly about Jesus and not boldly and confidently, whatever it is that has held you in guilt and shame chains for too long, whatever it is that brings you to tears and worship that's bad because if they only knew, they probably wouldn't even have me here. Whatever it is, whatever sentence it is that you have been serving, whatever Whatever evil thoughts you have allowed in your mind that's held you bound to the same old place and circumstances, whatever it is that is precisely what God intends to free you from. You have heard people in your life tell you, no, not that. Or you've heard them say about other people, and because they say it about other people, you don't tell them it's also true about you too. Whatever it is that's in the deepest, darkest, whatever it is that holds your heart back, whatever it is that prevents you from love, whatever it is that prevents you from trust, whatever it is that prevents you from full participation in gospel ministry, whatever it is that prevents you from being able to go to the throne, God don't want to hear from me right now. That's a lie. Whatever it is that is holding you back, whatever circumstances you've been in that you don't see the light at the end of the tunnel, you don't know if you're ever going to get out of, whatever it is, I promise you that that is precisely what God wants to free you from. There is no limit. There is no limit from what God wants to free you from. There's nothing. There's nothing more that I want for you than to be free. That to be truly liberated. And that's what Jesus wants for you too. All this other stuff gets in the way. That's what God wants for you. As deeply as something is trying to resist, tell you to resist right now, is as deeply and then some as God feels it for you, feels your freedom for you. He wants you to be able to move on. You are not them anymore. He knows exactly what it was in your past, but you're not that person anymore. He knows exactly what happened to you, but you've moved on from that now. Hallelujah. Freedom is yours. He sees the scars. He knows the wounds that you carry. And he wants to touch them. He wants to bless them. And he wants to move you forward. Because you are, you are beloved. You are a son. You are a daughter somebody's brother or somebody's sister. There's more for you.
This is true for us collectively as a church as well. This passage is actually a beautiful embodiment of, what I, of the, church, the type of church that I want Third Street to be. This is the mission that I believe God has put on my heart. The reason that I believe in this season he has us collectively together is because God wants to give us a new identity. What I mean by that is I believe that, I believe that God wants to reestablish what he meant when he inspired the writings about the first church. I think we've gotten so caught up, the American church as a whole has gotten so caught up in some of this other trash that is distracting that people have lost hope and faith in what the church is actually meant to be, right? What God embodied it being in the person of Jesus and in the inspiration of the Holy Spirit and acts and so on. I believe that, that, that God would have it for Third Street specifically to not worry about what the other churches in Canton are doing, what the other churches in Stark County are doing, because honestly, they're not our example, Jesus is. I really genuinely believe that God would have it for Third Street to be what he's able to point at when people are like, yeah, God, I can fool with Jesus, right? Me and Jesus are cool, but religion and the church? No, I'm all out. I believe genuinely that Third Street is what he would have people point to, to be like, no, 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 no. You looking at that. I'm talking about look at that. I believe that God wants to give us as a church new purpose and a new posture. I believe that, guys, when, when, when you look around, you might not be able to see it in, in, in physical appearance, but we represent so many different places in this community. Yes. Like, I know that it's difficult to, to, to connect all the dots and find out where everybody works and what everybody's, you know, who, what networks everybody's. I, I, I get it, right? There, there's a lot of people here. But we are in so many different places and so many different spaces in, in our community that I believe that that's God's design. I believe that that's God's intention. I believe that he has for us to accept a new purpose and a new posture because God desperately wants to begin to change all these other spaces in our community. That's why we're here. That's why we represent these other places, that we will be sent back, right? That, that we won't be the ones to pull our places of employment here. We will be the ones that are sent there to impact change. I believe that. I believe that God will have it for this church to, found, to find new freedoms. I believe that this will be a church that perfectly embodies the handcuffs coming off the church, right? Take off the handcuffs that we've placed on America, take, to, or America has placed on the church. Take off the handcuffs of everything's got to happen on Sunday morning. Take off the handcuffs of, as MLK, who will celebrate and acknowledge tomorrow, would say is the most segregated hour in America. Take off those handcuffs. Take off the handcuffs that if your people ain't tithing, you can't do it, right? Take off the handcuffs of, uh, of the, the constraints of a church budget says we can't, we can only go so far, right? Take off those handcuffs. Take off the handcuffs and realize that as the church, as the representatives of Jesus, collectively and individually in our communities realize that we are useful in every sector of society. It would be my hope that this year, you as an individual, but us collectively as a church would acknowledge that what we have is valuable and useful to every sector of society.
with no limitations. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you for the freedom that you bring us through your son, Christ Jesus. I thank you that there is no man-made system or ancient rhetoric that is told that is too much to stop you from setting people free. I thank you that there is no amount of evil that has been passed down through the generations that disallows you to have your people experience liberation. God, what we desperately want is to participate in the part of your kingdom that sees people set free from whatever physical ailment they have, from whatever mental condition has been plaguing them, from whatever family curse has been passed down. God, I pray that we are able to participate as members of a kingdom that sees, that, that sees to it that one day there will be no tears, that one day there will be no pain, there will be no suffering, there will be no hierarchy, there will be no system that tells people they're useless. God, that we will live into an identity that we were originally made to emulate from the very beginning of creation. When you saw us before we were even in our mother's womb, I pray that we begin today to live into that identity. Father, we are so sorry. We apologize. We ask for your forgiveness for the ways that we have allowed the world and the things around us to tell us who we are. Father, we pray for your forgiveness for the ways that we've accepted We've accepted that there is no purpose for our lives or for this season. And Lord, I pray that you would give us the inspiration of your Holy Spirit to get up and see barriers shut down, to overcome hurdles, to leap over gaps. God, I pray that you would give us the healing that needs to take place from the hurt that was from yesterday. Because what you have for us is new today. God, I pray that you would help us see to it that Third Street becomes that beacon of light. Third Street becomes a people of hope. That Third Street becomes something that people who don't recognize you can't understand because they're like, man, they everywhere. God, I pray that we would be able to live into our God-given identity so that when we enter the gates of heaven, we're able to look behind us and see all that you've brought in by us simply saying yes to the invitation that you offer each and every one of us. Pray these things. In Jesus' name, all who believe say. Bless up. Bless up.